Sanctions have been imposed on 82 individuals and 29 companies. German payment provider Wirecard went bankrupt on Russia has launched an unprecedented disinformation campaign against Billions of dollars have been found in various offshore accounts. Welcome to Integrity Insights, the Berlin Risk Podcast. Hello, dear listeners of Integrity Insights. In our today's episode, we will discuss the topic of sanctions and more specifically sanctions enforcement. We will discuss the different approaches towards sanctions enforcement by the US authorities and by the European authorities. We will also talk about the latest developments with regards to sanctions enforcement. And most importantly, we will talk about sanctions due diligence, uh, a type of due diligence investigation mapping out uh, the sanctions risk. I will discuss this topic today with my colleague and a senior consultant at Berlin Risk, Verna Horn, who has conducted many of these type of investigations and has a lot to say on the subject. So let's get started. Hi, Verena. Welcome on the podcast. Hi, Philip. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Um, okay, so before we start, can you maybe tell our listeners a little bit about your background? Uh, yeah, well, I'm senior consultant at Berlin Risk, and um, I'll keep it short. I trained as a financial journalist, and then I worked for many years in political and security risk, um, working in most parts of the world, but also uh, specializing in India. And then I, at some point, found my way into integrity due diligence and corporate investigations where I found my home. So Interesting. Thank you for this, Verena. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, as I out- outlined in the introduction to this episode, I invited you today specifically to talk about sanctions, because I know that you've re- relatively recently written an an interesting article on the subject and I was also actually recently at a conference in Berlin with a a lot of compliance people from various big German companies and I've heard something really interesting there one of the uh, compliance officer was basically saying that the companies these days worry mostly about sanctions not so much maybe about supply chains or ESG. There was something that really struck me. And uh, I was I thought this would be a good opening question. Like, why why is this the case? Why, why do uh, companies worry about the sanctions so much these days? Yeah, really good question. Well, um, I guess just purely technically, um, sanctions are uh, under strict liability in most jurisdictions. Companies are legally liable for their sanctions violations, even if they're unaware that they are violating those sanctions. This really makes it a compliance priority. And I mean, economic sanctions have been developing into one of the West's kind of primary foreign policy tools for a long time now. We've had long-running sanctions on pariah states like Iran and Syria um, and sectoral sanctions on Russia after its annexation of uh, illegal annexation of the Crimea in 2014. But I mean, what we really had over the past year and a half is a quite an unprecedented, unprecedented situation where Russia, which is really an integral part of the global economy, has been um, targeted in really quite sweeping sanctions um, that um, mean that there's just on top of the sheer number of different sanctions regimes that we have globally, we also have 
these sanctions on Russia, which are targeting a record number of individuals and entities. And those entities are, like I said, often part of the global economy. Um, you know, Russia's an exporter of certain important raw materials. So what we have is the risk of kind of collateral impact on the, on, um, for companies and entities all over the world is much higher. Um, so yeah, I guess that's mm. the, the main answer. Mm. I mean, I guess what I've been really wondering mostly about is the, is the fact that, I mean, you all have all these different sanctions. I don't know how many sa different sanctions regimes, different countries imposing sanctions, but at the same time, I've been reading a lot about, I mean, this con concerns Europe mostly. I mean, that's, that's where we are based, but the fact that there's so many sanctions, individuals and sanction companies that still continue doing their business without very little of limitations, rather little restrictions. So the sanction enforcement, at least in Europe, seems to be really kind of ineffective. So uh, I guess in that context, I was thinking, okay, why why do we actually fear these companies, the sanctions? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, uh, I think any company that is involved in transnational business will be concerned about sanctions primarily because of the U.S. Treasury's Office of Foreign Assets Control, which has really been the kind of primary official entities that companies need to be concerned about in terms of sanctions enforcement. We saw, for example, earlier this year, I think it was in June, the British American Tobacco um, was made a settlement with the US authorities in US OFAC for sanctions violations with regard to North Korea. It, it, it Between 2007 and 2017, it it was exporting cigarettes to North Korea um, in violation of sanctions. And it made a settlement payment of nearly 600 million, or perhaps it was just a little over 600 million. So you can see that there are really, really quite substantial penalties um, to be paid. Perhaps you're right that in the EU that enforcement of sanctions violations and circumventions has been pretty... Um, patchy to say the least and I'm not sure that there is a lot going on but we've seen some changes um, in the EU in recent months I think in response to um, debates over actually how effective the sanctions have been in um, affecting the Russian economy and kind of um, hampering the Kremlin's war efforts in Ukraine um, so uh, yeah, we've seen a move in the EU towards increased enforcement, especially with, I mean, the EU Council in June settled on an approach for an EU-wide law criminalizing and imposing penalties for violations of EU sanctions, which probably will means that we're moving towards a situation where sanctions violations will be prosecuted on an EU-wide level, which perhaps is will mean that Europe will be more of a concern in terms of enforcements for companies going forward i mean if so that means go ahead sorry that that means that means verena that at at at, at the moment uh, in the european context it's the individual member states that are responsible for the enforcement but you are basically saying that there is a push towards centralization of this Yes, uh, exactly. Sorry, that sorry if that wasn't clear. Exactly, um, individual member states are currently responsible for viol um, for prosecuting, investigating, and prosecuting enforcements, and on a um, uh, and on a practical level, that isn't happening possibly to the level that it should. Um, and is there is there currently a uh, essential register of all imposed sanctions, like globally? There isn't any free central tool that's reliable or official in any way. Um, separate official databases really need to be checked by companies undertaking compliance checks for sanctions risks. 
There are paid for digital tools which can help with these first level checks. But ultimately, if you want to uncover um, the real sanctions risk behind a new business partnership, you really can't rely on digital tools alone to check that sanctions risk um, for all sorts of reasons that we can discuss when we go into the process of sanctions due diligence. Um, There's also the 50% ownership rule and the concept of narrative sanctions, um, which means that a lot of companies that are officially under sanctions don't appear on any official lists, but they are sanctioned by association. So that means that they're 50% owned by one or more person that appears on a sanctions list. Um, Actually, I read up an interesting statistic that shows that individuals and entities that appear on official sanctions lists actually make up an estimated 5% of those that actually fall under sanctions. So this shows that there's a lot of um, hidden sanctions risks that if you're only screening via official sanctions lists, you will miss. Okay, so it's not it's not so simple as just putting a name into into a, some search box and, and, and seeing whether the person or the company has been sanctioned mm. to do more. Yeah, no, definitely not. Because, I mean, that can't account for your subjects or your business partner's activities today. You know, their other business interests, their political contacts and their network, which all contribute to the risk of being sanctioned. Yeah. Okay, and if I understood you correctly, you are saying that in order to be fully aware of all those underlying risks, you need to conduct a sanctions due diligence. Can you maybe uh, speak a little bit about this in more detail? What what does it entail exactly, this process? Sanctions due diligence is uh, a process that I guess is comparable to traditional integrity due diligence or anti-money laundering linked due diligence processes. So, I mean, companies that might consider or would should consider sanctions due diligence a necessity. Um, it really, for example, when they're considering cross-border transactions, particularly in due jurisdictions that pose a heightened risk of sanctions or for example with partners that have a heightened risk profile because of where they operate or the sector they operate in for example strategic sectors um, will have a heightened risk profile for sanctions um, or uh, the type of activity they're engaged in Um, and in cases especially I think and this is really important in cases where a business partner might have a particularly complex corporate structure that means there are some difficulties in identifying really underlying ownership. Because um, as I just discussed before, there's this risk of sanctions by association. So it's really, really critical when you're looking at sanctions risk to... um, make sure that you know who the ultimate beneficial owner is. And besides establishing the ownership structure, uh, what are the other things that you absolutely need to check on a a sanctions due diligence assignment? Primarily, if companies are undertaking sanctions due diligence, they need to answer a series of fundamental questions about their business partners that can be compared to traditional Um, integrity due diligence or AML due diligence processes. So that would be, who is your customer? Um, What exactly do they do and and where do they do it? Um, And this information then needs to be checked for existing and potential sanctions exposure and assessed 
on the basis of aggregated risks across the entire project. That's how, that's the kind of overall methodology. And we would probably, we tend to break down sanctions due diligence into three main steps. And those, that would be, we would first investigate these questions. So who's your customer? What do they do and where do they operate? And who their business partners are, for example. And then we would assess the specific sanctions risk. And then the third step would be to monitor the um, project or the business partner for ongoing risks or emerging risks. So for example, reputational risks that um, develop into legal risks from a sanctions perspective. Um, Yeah. And so I I guess the the key step, especially for, for us, is the investigation part where we look into the factors that contribute to an overall increased sanctions risk exposure for a company. I think is a really critical step is looking into determining the beneficial beneficial ownership of um, the target entity in the, of the investigation. As I think we have seen in our in our investigations both of us um there's a lot of ways in which uh well there's a lot of ways in which sanctioned individuals and entities can obscure ownership basically and this is kind of the prime area where we see sanctions violations and circumventions um happening so and that's what i yeah. that's Verena, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to say, because we know from episode number one about the UBO registries that the currently the situation regarding beneficial ownership reporting is not exactly advantageous for uh, investigators. So I wonder how do you, when you check uh, a company, uh, you you might expect that the UBO, the ultimate beneficial owner, is a, perhaps a sanctioned Russian oligarch, but suddenly you see a completely different name there that maybe is no really no profile like how do you deal with that i mean we know that sanctioned individuals frequently transfer stakes or shares in companies and assets to maybe trusted family members friends employees to hold on their behalf so i i guess the first thing that we would do is check if these individuals are family members or related to the sanctioned individual or if they're employees um this is a very very common um Uh, tactic that we see time and time again. Mm. Um, we saw recently the release, for example, of the Rotenberg Files investigation by the Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project, together with some international newspapers, that showed how the Rotenberg brothers, who were really, really buddy-buddy with um, Vladimir Putin um, and are sanctioned um, in the US and the EU, how they went about circumventing sanctions for years. And we saw in one case, for example, Boris Rotenberg's bodyguard, Alexander Kovzlov, was um, made UBO of a British Virgin Island registered company that was formerly owned by Boris Rotenberg and through which he held one of his yachts. And I, I think, you know, in, in that case, if we could link Alexander Kozlov to Boris Rotenberg through his employment history, then that would be a very clear red flag. Um, yeah, so it's about looking at the network and seeing how they fit in. But I wonder, that's a, that's a very interesting point, Werner, and I, and I wonder, because this is then, uh, this is obviously, I understand from your per, per perspective how it is a red flag, but then when you report this information, I guess, to your client, to a company that is uh, concerned about sanctions, uh, and they see that uh, uh, 
they are basically de dealing with a non-sanctioned individual. So like strictly from a strict legal perspective, they don't, they actually have, n I, I assume nothing to worry about. Well, that's actually recently recent changes to, we've seen, uh, we talked about the 11th sanction package and actually just before that and in that package, there's been a redefinition of who is potentially in the category of being sanctioned. We've seen a widening of that to include family members of prominent Russian business people. Or I think the wording in the 11th sanction package was the definition of um, those that can be added to the EU sanctions list also covers now people who, quote, otherwise significantly frustrate those provisions related to sanctions. So we see what we see is a widening of the definition of people who can fall under sanctions. So if it becomes clear to sanctions um, bodies that um, apply sanctions that an individual is holding though a share in a company or a sanctioned on behalf of a sanctioned individual, then there's definitely a sanctions, future sanctions risk there. And we see in the US that the US OFAC is is prosecuting individuals that are um, employees or friends of sanctioned individuals who are holding their or managing those assets. I think there was a case in February this year, there was um, the US indicted a US register, uh, resident Russian individual who was an associate of uh, the designated olig oligarch named Vexelberg. So he was charged um, of conspiring to violate and evade US sanctions and money laundering laws um, because he was basically making payments to maintain some luxury pro properties owned by Vexelberg. And uh, he even tried to sell them on for Vexelberg. And I think in that case, mm. you know, the US authorities felt it was clearly quite a clear case that this he was, I mean, he'd been going around talking about how he was best buddies with Vexelberg. So um, yeah, but I think in this case, if you were a company and you were thinking of um, it getting involved in a business relationship with a company that you, that, that we suspected um, was actually owned by a proxy on behalf of a sanctioned individual, then what you're looking at as a company, you're looking at the risk that that, future business relationship has to be broken off because that company will be sanctioned so and i and i and i suppose the fact that you as a investigator as a uh, sanctions due diligence investigator that you come up with this conclusion that that probably means that uh, any sanctions enforcement officers whether in the us or eu will probably come up with, uh, with the same conclusion Yeah, obviously and, it depends and where and at what point they start looking into these individuals. But what we see is this, you know, as I, as we discussed before, this really dynamic landscape where there's constantly more individuals and entities being added to these lists that, that you know, there's, 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 if you can pinpoint that there is a sanctions risk, then, you know, not only, I mean, there's the reputational aspect of, uh, in, in the current context of working with companies, um, Russian companies and so forth. And that's one aspect and that depends on your organization's risk appetite. But then there's also the risk that these reputational risks turn into real legal risks associated with sanctions. Yeah. And I mean, it's not just, not just in terms of determining beneficial ownership. It's, it's not just, you know, if, if it was as simple as just looking into proxies and, you know, there are ways of identifying proxy ownership. It's, it's, usually with some investigations and discrete inquiries it's it's 
it's possible to identify proxy ownership or non- nominal ownership. But um, there's also, you know, there's other there's other ways of obscuring ownership. So we see the use of obviously non-transparent jurisdictions or regulatory loopholes or the restructuring of assets for greater secrecy. Um, so, and often in those cases, even if you can't conclusively identify the ultimate beneficial ownership, you can see, again, if you investigate closely enough, you can see activity that that presents represents really a, a major red flag. We had uh, one case recently where we were investigating some funds in Liechtenstein, for example, that were primarily used as a vehicle to own and um, provide financial um, support for a company operating in Russia. Um, we started looking into this company in Russia and we made some inquiries on the ground and it came back that almost certainly, or it seemed to be fairly widely acknowledged that this company was a vehicle for two very, very high-profile sanctioned individuals close to Putin. And what we, when we then went back to look at the Liechtenstein context, what we found was that these funds that had were basically used to own this company operating in Russia, they had recently all three changed their legal structure to a different type of legal structure. And the new type of legal structure allowed these funds to bypass legislation that required them to declare their ownership according to Liechtenstein's newly expanded uh, beneficial owners register requirements. So this... So again, beneficial ownership problems. Exactly. And in this case, it was, you know, combined with these inquiries on the ground, it it provided quite a conclusive, I mean, quite quite a good argument um, against, I would say, investing in that particular project. Mm, mm. Yeah, that, that is really interesting. Thank you for uh, giving this example. It's always good to have some real life uh, scenarios. Well, thank you so much, Verena, for joining me today. I, I really enjoyed this conversation, actually. Uh, and we'll make sure to invite you again once there's some fascinating developments on the sanctions front but uh until then i uh, wish you all the best and uh, yeah take care yeah you too bye